All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Revelation. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 20, we were talking about the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That is after Jesus returns in the second advent, he sets up the kingdom. That is what the Jews have been waiting on for all this time. This what we call the millennial kingdom or the reign of the Messiah. According to Revelation 20, this lasts for a period of 1,000 years. But before, as we talked about it earlier in this recap, but before the millennial kingdom begins, now there are several things that Jesus will do before the kingdom. And that is found in the book of the prophets, but we're not going to get, we're going to deal with all of that right now. Let's just stay with Revelation and talk about what he does at the beginning of the kingdom. But what he does is he bounds Satan and Satan is bound and a seal is set over him for a thousand years so that Satan would not be allowed to go and deceive the nations once more. And then and two things I want to make a point on this. But if you want to see the details about it, see the previous video that I made earlier. But in this recap, two things deceive the nations. Nations is plural. That is so that the Gentile nations will not be deceived. This is not talking about the Jews because once Jesus comes back, there will be a spiritual revival in the Jews in such a way. That's Jeremiah 31 and 31 and also Zephaniah, Zechariah, and it goes on and on and on. But there will be a spiritual revival in the Jews in such a way that the Jews will never, ever sing in. Neither will they ever reject Jesus as their Messiah. So as long as Jesus is here, every Jew and every generation of Jew will always receive Jesus as Messiah. Or as Zechariah simply says, they will be holy unto the Lord forever. But this will not be true of the Gentiles. We also see this in Isaiah chapter 26, when he talks about death in the millennial kingdom, that a person will be who will, who dies at the age of 100 during this time will be considered simply as a child because days would be prolonged as it was in the days preceding Noah. But the point is, during the time of the kingdom, when Jesus comes back, Gentiles, some will receive him, some will not. And as Isaiah simply says it, and I'm not going to get into it in that discussion, even though I know I opened a box on that. But even as Isaiah says, those who do not receive Christ by the age of 100 will die. But nevertheless, so Satan is bound and he is bound for the reason to give the nations, all people, all mankind specifically, the Gentiles, a right to receive the blessings and the benefits of the Messiah and make the choice for Jesus. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden situation all over again, when man would be able to make a choice, except for man's sinful nature isn't removed, but nevertheless, Man, the influence, the satanic influence is removed, thereby giving humanity, namely the Gentiles, the option of choosing Jesus without the influence of the devil and his angels. All right. Enough of that. 
So that's what the whole issue is about that. And we saw a resurrection of the dead, those who died from the uh, Old Testament saints, resurrection of the dead, and also those who died during the tribulation period. Remember, that was that seven year period. They also rose from the dead and they lived with Christ, reigned for a thousand years. And we saw thrones that were distributed throughout the world. And this is when the people of God receive uh, their blessings from Jesus. Remember, he talked about the reward that well done, good and faithful servant. You uh, uh, I make you ruler over many things. And then he'll say rule over five cities or whatever the point is. And so that's why we see thrones in the book of Revelation. OK, but anyway, and it finally ends talking about how blessed it is to be a part of this first resurrection because this first resurrection all of those who rise in that first resurrection they will die no more they have eternal glorified bodies but also what it is suggesting also because it's going to talk about that as we move through the text is those who come in the second resurrection are all damned they are damned to eternal destruction that's why it is a blessing to be a part of the first resurrection. All right, with that review, now we're gonna move into the next section uh, that basically deals with after the kingdom, okay? And I'm only gonna talk about in this particular verse, in this video, verses seven through 10 of Revelation chapter 20, because I don't wanna try to cover too much material and I wanna be thorough as you try to get you to understand what's actually going on. So remember, the kingdom of Jesus is a temporary kingdom. It is not eternal. It lasts for only 1,000 years. And after the thousand years, this will be when Jesus has completed, or basically, basically, all Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled. Christ has reigned, and then finally, there will be the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the apostle Paul says the last enemy that Christ shall put under his feet is death. And when Jesus gets rid of death once and for all, notice what the apostle Paul says. Then he turns over the kingdom unto God so that God may be all in all. Now, the reason I said that is so that you will understand once again, even Paul taught clearly first Corinthians 15 again, that the kingdom of the Messiah is not eternal in that sense. His messianic reign is for a thousand years. After that 1000 years is the end of the kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about now, the end of the messianic kingdom. And it begins in Revelation 20 and verse seven. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. That's verse number seven. So basically, once the thousand years of Jesus reign, he has returned. He has reigned for a thousand years. The saints, Christ, along with the saints, have been ruling the world. That's Psalm two. I'm trying not to be premature, but actually that's Psalm two that we're pretty much getting into that whole scenario. And just in case I didn't, I know I've told you about it, but Psalm two is all about the reign of Jesus in the second advent. Psalm two is actually prophetic, but nevertheless, 
A thousand years to complete. Remember, Satan was bound at the beginning of the kingdom. Now he has been released. Remember, it also said that Satan was bound, but he would be released once again. He is now released. And now the kingdom of Christ, for the most part, is now coming to an end as Satan is being released for the last and final spiritual showdown. Okay, verse number eight. And he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So, guys, if you'll just let me take my time with this just a little bit to make you see the tragedy of actually what's going on. All right. So Satan is released. He comes out once again to do what he has always done. He tries to deceive mankind, ultimately to turn us against Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. You have to keep in mind, Jesus is dwelling on the literal earth in Jerusalem, where people, mankind is going up to Jerusalem at yearly festivals, that's in the book of Ezekiel when it talks about these things, and also even in the book of Isaiah when it talks about a restoration of certain feasts that will be that will come about during the kingdom. But we don't want to get into all of that. But nevertheless, even in the book, I believe it's Zechariah, and it talks about the, the feast of tabernacles will be restored. But nevertheless, the point is, mankind has been given the opportunity over 1,000 years to benefit of the blessings. Remember all that the prophets talked about at the book of Isaiah, talked about the renovation, the new heavens and new earth. When it talks about that, it's talking about the renovation of the world once again. Remember, during the tribulation, the world was almost completely destroyed. It was a total havoc. But when Jesus and life almost gone, animal life, fish life, it's almost just devastated. But when Jesus comes back, that's why the kingdom is such a beautiful thing. He restores everything. My whole point that I'm trying to emphasize is this. The world has seen him. They have benefited of his goodness. You know that he is good and you know that the reign of Christ has been such a blessing. But notice it doesn't take long after Satan is released from his prison, from the abyss that we talked about earlier, from the abyss that he goes about and he convinces so much of humanity to turn against Christ. That tells you something about the heart of man. You know, even though Psalm chapter two says, Psalm two says, Jesus shall rule the world with a rod of iron. And, and that means the world will obey him because the world has no choice but to obey him. But nevertheless, the heart of man has never been changed. And because the heart of man has never been changed, even though he obeys Christ during the millennial, he does not obey Christ because he loves Christ. He has not responded to the love of God. Matter of fact, I tell you what, let me take you to here. Let me take you to here. 
Because all it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Notice God made the entire world. He made the plants. He made the fruit trees. He made all of the animals. He made the fish of the sea. And then finally, the greatest thing that he made was mankind. And what did God say? Let us make man in our own image. And what did God say once that he made the man? Take these things that I have made rule over them. The Bible always teaches that love is not what you say. Love is what you do. So God was demonstrating his love for the man by what he did. And when God gave him the test of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God was simply saying, let me see, do you love me like I love you? I have already shown you my love for you. How? Through the good things that I've done for you. Will you respond properly to my to loving me? Do you love me back? And that's what we basically have during the millennial kingdom. People, mankind has seen the love of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God that he has done for them. And all he's saying is, do you love me back? And what do we see? No sooner Satan is released again and people had that opportunity to disobey and to rebel against Jesus, they do just that. Why? Because even though man may be forced to be obedient to God, when his heart has not been changed, he will not love God. And that's basically what we see. Jesus has shown love for humanity, but humanity once again has shown a hatred for Jesus because whose side are they on? They are on once again, Satan's side, but enough preaching about that. Let's just simply go through the text. And when it talks about the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, I don't want to get into Ezekiel 37, 38. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But these are the ancient names that basically refer to Russia, Germany area, but I don't want to get into that. The emphasis is of the text is that the rejection and the rebellion that Satan leads is not limited to a certain part of the world, but it's worldwide. Notice what it says, the four corners of the earth. That means Satan will be so successful in leading a rebellion against Jesus Christ until the vast majority of the human race will rebel against Jesus who is reigning on the earth. Let me finish this thing. Enough of that. For what purpose? To gather them for the great war. So this is the final war that will take place before the end of the ages, before the end of all things and the eternal kingdom. So this is not the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon has already taken place. It took place when Jesus got ready to return to the earth during the second advent. This great war is a thousand years after the battle of Armageddon. And it is the final battle before what we call the judgment day. But anyway, let's finish it. And then it says in the end of verse number eight, how successful was Satan in recruiting mankind to rebel against Jesus? Notice, please look, the number of them was like the sand of the seashore. So guess what? In all that Jesus had done, you would think 
that the great vast majority of the human race would say, no, I'm going to stand on the Lord's side. Nope. Nope. In the very end, out of having paradise on earth, the vast majority of people sided with Satan to form an army. And you know what's ridiculous about it? They have seen the power of Jesus. It's amazing. Okay. I get, I, let me say it this way. These people clearly are not saved. And of course, they have never been saved. But they have seen the power and the majesty. And they've seen that J Jesus is not the lamb and, and, and all of that stuff like he was in the first coming. Jesus is like the lion. He, he's not playing. That's why the Bible says once again, Psalm 2, he rules the world with a rod of iron. What makes you think that you can have war against God on earth and win it? It tells me that the heart is corruptible amongst all things, above all things, who can know it? But anyway, let's finish the text. So a massive number of humanity have joined with Satan to rebel against Jesus in the final war at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus. Now verse nine. And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now that's a very succinct statement, but turn on the imagery of your mind. Imagine a sea of humanity, people that cannot be numbered, coming up to Israel. That is the Israel where Jesus is at, where the, the Jerusalem is at, literally Israel and Jerusalem. And they surround it with so many people who knows, I don't know what weapons of warfare that they created for the moment, because we already know that when Jesus began his reign, he destroyed all weapons of warfare. But who knows what they came up with in this short period of time. But nevertheless, they are gathered among in, in front of the Israel itself. Let me say it that way. Notice it said that the saints of God have been gathered there. In other words, all of God's people that have been distributed across the world. And basically, the, and, and what I have in mind here is the Gentiles. Because why? All Jews will always be in Israel. That is their home. That is their territory. That is the whole issue that deals with the fulfillment of Jesus's return to give them the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to fulfill the words spoken by the prophets. The prophets always talked about the Jews being secure in their own homeland and they will always be there. So the whole point is when you see the regathering of saints, this is not so much the regathering of the Jews because the Jews, remember saved, Jews are always saved. The Jews never leave Israel. They're always there in the presence of Jesus all the time. But the Gentiles have been distributed out in the world. They make the rest of the population. So they have been gathered to Israel. Jesus has, it's like calling his sheep home, calling them back to one place while the whole world gathers against them in war. So all of the saints are now in Israel and now all of the rest of all the world, the rest of all the world is surrounding Israel for a final battle, probably just knowing they're looking at the numbers. We outnumber them so much. 
We are going to completely destroy them at this time. We got them now. And notice how the thing ended. As they surrounded Israel, it is a simple statement. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. I love the simplicity of that statement. Notice there was no war. See, they came for war. There was no struggle. There was no fight. They just knew by the superiority that they had in number, they would destroy the saints, Jesus, one and all. Matter of fact, since I'm here, since I'm here and I've been talking about Psalm 2, allow me to move over to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, why did the nations rage? They said because they were tired of being under the authority of the Messiah. So what they thought to themselves to do was to break the bonds of Jesus. In other words, to break his authority over them. And so they came to make war. And notice what it says. I'm in Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 speaks of this incident. It says, God looks down from heaven and laughs at them because why? Their efforts would be futile. Even though they gather to make war against the son of God, the war would end in a pitiful way. And that's exactly what took place in Revelation 20. Notice Jesus, unlike, and here's again, here's something I want you to see again. One, one more time. Remember, when Jesus returned in the second advent, when he first came down, that's the second advent, that's what I'm speaking about. When he came down, he came down in war, battle of Armageddon. And, and I'm also in Isaiah, what I believe, Isaiah 34. <laughs> he made war to such an extent. Remember his clothing at first when he arrived was white. By the time that Jesus came down to the earth and people saw him, they asked, why are your clothes so red? Why are they red as if you've been in the wine press? You know, the wine press is the grapes and you step on the grapes and all of the juice slash upon you. But the high idea was Jesus is in war and Jesus is doing all of this killing and his clothes are now dashed with the blood of men. And Jesus says, I have been threshing the wine press of the wrath of God. But here's the thing. Jesus was so he engaged physically in battle when he came back in the second advent, physical battle, and he killed untold thousands of people. But this time you have a huge number of people surrounding the camp thinking once and for all with Satan at the lead, we going to get rid of Jesus and all these Christian folk once and for all. But this time, Jesus doesn't even make war. He just simply sends a fire down. And when it says to devour them, it literally means to kill them. But be aware, even though they're dead, they'll only remain dead just for a little while. Because as we move through Revelation, these same people who were killed in untold massive numbers We'll be resurrected once again. But let's finish this first. We're going to finish this section and then we'll talk about the final section of the resurrection. Verse number nine. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Three sections to that verse. So let me talk about it and we'll end it. 
The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Finally, Satan has met his end. Notice what I just said. Finally, Satan has met his end and his end is the lake of fire. Let me deal with a, a false thinking that some people have that the devil is in hell or the devil has been to hell or that the devil will go to hell. So let me straighten that out. The devil has never been to hell. The devil will never go to hell. Now hell, once again, is that word Gehenna. Hell is the place, and also if you don't know, I did a video about hell, uh, 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 the four compartments as people call it, hell, or uh, that is the four compartments of Sheol, that is the afterworld, okay? But I'm not gonna get into it now. But concerning Satan, Satan has never been to hell and Satan will never go to hell. Satan has never been in a place of suffrage right now. He's never been. The only time that Satan will go into a place where he suffers in this manner is right here in Revelation. That is the lake of fire. And once he goes to this place, and I'm not talking about the abyss, I'm not talking about the abyss, that thousand year place, okay? I'm talking about hell versus the lake of fire. But the only time he goes to this place of suffrage is here in Revelations chapter 20 when he goes to the lake of fire and he goes here. And unlike the abyss that we saw earlier, he will never be released ever again. So the final abode of Satan is the lake of fire. Now let's look at the second part. Notice it said where the beast and the false prophet already are. We remember that at the return of Jesus, remember the beast is the antichrist. The beast is the antichrist and the false prophets were the antichrist servant. Remember that from Revelations chapter 13. But we know that Jesus in his second advent, when he first came back from heaven a thousand years earlier, before the kingdom started, remember the battle of Armageddon, it was the antichrist and all of his world armies at that time. Okay. Jesus killed the antichrist. And after he killed him, he resurrected him, killed him. Isaiah 14 resurrected him. Uh, Revelation 19. Okay. Let me do a quick break on that. Just in case I didn't explain it. Isaiah 14 talks about the death of the antichrist. So when Jesus comes back, he kills the antichrist. However, he resurrects the antichrist sometimes later after he kills him. Why? Because the antichrist is placed in the lake of fire. In order to go into the lake of fire, you must possess a body. You must possess a resurrected body. But when you go to hell itself, that's Isaiah 14, hell itself, Gehenna, Sheol, all right? It's only the spirit of a man that goes there. Luke 16, remember? When uh, the rich man and Lazarus died, their bodies were buried, but their soul spirit went into Sheol, right? One part was called paradise. The other part was called Gehenna, the fireplace, right? But notice their bodies did not go. The body goes to the lake of fire. So you would have to be resurrected, resurrected in order to go to the lake of fire. And that's basically what we see here. The antichrist killed, then resurrected, put into the lake of fire. So it was he and the false prophet 
who were the first ones to go into the lake of fire. They preceded even the devil himself by 1,000 years. They went there 1,000 years before the devil ever got there. So when the devil got there, he met them both, okay? But they're not gonna be in short company. Very soon, they're gonna have a whole lot of people there with them. But now let's just simply finish the verse. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The lake of fire is a place of eternal torment. There is no secession. There is no death. You go there and you stay there forever. Why? Because the body is eternal. So therefore you never die. All right, guys, that is enough. I do believe in revelation here. Next time we come back, we're going to talk about the great judgment. See, see you then.